You guys, let's pray. If everybody wants to turn in their Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be starting in verse 13. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for just, Lord, your faithfulness. Lord, just as the song said, Lord, you are faithful. God, you are so faithful to us, Lord. You are faithful, Father, beyond all measure, God. Lord, we know that your word tells us, Lord, that you're faithful even when we're faithless. God, you are going to speak. Lord, you are going to move in the lives of your people, Lord God. And we ask, Father, now for open ears, open hearts, God. Just a receptiveness, Father, to know and hear the things that you want to speak to us. And God, I pray, Father, as we look at this section of scripture today, God, that you would get me out of the way. Lord, we want to hear from you. Father, temper my words, I pray. Speak, I pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you guys, this week, we're going to be looking at one of the most well-known miracles by Jesus in the entire Bible. We're going to be looking at the feeding of 5,000. That's what it's called, right? The feeding of the 5,000. But I want to clarify something right up front. It's the feeding of 5,000 men plus an unknown number of women and children. Sorry, guys. Sorry, ladies. Sorry, kiddos, that uh, they weren't included in that counting. But I want to get our heads around the fact that it wasn't just 5,000, which is already insane, right? But it was more than that. Who knows how many it was? Was it 10, 12, 15,000? Was it 8,000? We don't know, right? But it was a lot of people. And so here we have this obviously profoundly impacting miracle that happened. Do you want to know why I know it was profoundly impacting? Because it's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels. This is the only miracle in all of the Gospels that is mentioned in all four of them. And I I think that speaks to the profundity of this miracle in the lives of the disciples. And I want to talk about the fact, you guys, you guys remember that this is coming right on the heels of last week's message, which was what? All the heartache that Jesus and the disciples endured. Remember, Jesus went into his own hometown of Nazareth. He shows up. I mean, can you imagine being a disciple with him? And you're like, yes, this guy, my rabbi, going back home, gonna do something amazing there, just like he's already been doing. He shows up and they basically are like, get out of here. You're Joseph's kid. I mean, who the heck do you think you are, really? Right? They treated him with contempt. And so he wasn't able to do much there. And he's like, basically calls him out. He's like, all right, man. Like, you don't want me here, I'm leaving. And so that was where they were. And then on the way out of Nazareth, he finds out his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded by Herod. And before we think that only meant something to Jesus, remember that it's Andrew, the, right? The disciple Andrew that went to Peter and said, hey, right? Like he was a disciple of John the Baptist. He was like, whoa, like I figured out who the Messiah is. I know who it is. It's this guy named Jesus because John the Baptist, I was hanging out with crazy John and, and then this guy came down and like a dove fell and he got baptized and it was insane. And he goes to Peter and tells him all that. And Peter was like, uh-huh. and so he goes to Jesus, right? But like, think about this. This impacted John the Baptist's death, impacted a lot of the disciples. A lot of the disciples knew about John and were either following John before Jesus got on the scene or somehow were in the periphery and understood John's impact. And definitely while they were being disciples of Jesus, there was that sense of like, man, this is what John was saying all along is that he was directing the path to Jesus, right? So this had a profound impact 
on all their lives. And so here we go. With all that in mind, I want to start reading what we're going to read here in the feeding of the 5,000, because I think we need to have that background before we jump into this amazing thing. So let's read. Verse 13 in chapter 14 says this. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there. What did he hear about John the Baptist's death? He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. You guys, when Jesus heard about his cousin, John the Baptist, he went away from the place that he was. And the last place we know that he was mentioned was in Nazareth. Well, you guys, Nazareth is about 20 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. If he's getting in a boat, somewhere along that trip from Nazareth away back to the Sea of Galilee is where he found out about John the Baptist. And so he just kept hiking it out to the Sea of Galilee. And then from there, they got on a boat and they took a ride. And we're told in Mark 6.31, remember this is mentioned in all four Gospels. You're not going to see a lot of these scriptures up here because it would take us like six hours to do this message if we went to every last scripture. So just listen. Mark 6.31 tells us that Jesus also wanted to go to the deserted place to allow all of them to take a moment and rest. That's what Mark tells us. He says this. He tells us that the disciples and Jesus had been working so fervently and so hard that they really hadn't even had time to eat. Now, it's interesting because what are we going to have a miracle in? Feeding people. (laughs) But the other thing that is interesting to me is you guys all know that the gospel of Mark, that's from John Mark, the guy that was on the trip, right? The young kid basically that was on the trip with Paul that ends up leaving and causes all sorts of issues. Well, he ended up hooking up with Peter. And so a lot of scholars believe that Peter basically was just a dumb fisherman, probably didn't have the smarts necessarily to sit and write down a gospel, but John Mark did. He had the smarts. And so a lot of scholars believe, and I believe as well, that this is Peter's gospel, the gospel of Mark, but he just, Mark is the one that wrote it, okay? And isn't it kind of funny that this big, huge, burly fisherman is the only mention we get of them saying, man, we were hungry. (laughs) I don't know. I think that's awesome that here's this, this fact that it wasn't just the sorrow over John the Baptist. It wasn't just the fact that they had been go, 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 go. There was also this physical element of like, we just need a break. We need a break. We need a break mentally. We need a break physically. We need a break to just eat, to take in some food, to kind of just chill out for a second. What do we read though? In the gospel of Matthew, it tells us that as the boat was making its way to the other side of the sea, probably about an eight mile trip, from where most scholars believe they took off, which is the closest port to Nazareth, across the way to Bethsaida, which is where we're going to read they got off, was about an eight-mile trip. Well, guess what, you guys? This Sea of Galilee is now called a lake. It's not that big. You can see boats out there. And so if they saw Jesus get on, do you understand what Matthew's getting at here whenever it says that when they heard about it, they followed him? They basically just walked along the shoreline as the boat came across. So by the time they landed, they were already there. People were there. So they didn't get that break they were hoping for. You guys, here's the truth. This multitude of people following on the shore. Luke 9 and 10 tells us that the secluded place was near Bethsaida. And Bethsaida is on the border of what's known as the Decapolis, which was 10 big Gentile cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Most Jews wouldn't have been caught dead there. If you guys remember, we've heard about the Decapolis before. That's where Jesus went in and healed the demon-possessed people that had the legion of demons in them that got sent out to the pigs that got sent over the cliff. You guys remember that? That's where that happened. 
And so this Bethsaida was right on the northern border of the Decapolis. Basically, as they walked across, I can just imagine as that crew of 5,000 men plus women and children was making their way around the end of the thing that they were like, man, I hope they don't go east. I hope they don't go east. I hope they don't go east. Because if they're aiming west, we can walk to there. We can walk to there and we're not so deep into Gentile territory that we're not going to go. No. They went right to Bethsaida. Do you guys know? Think about this. Don't you think that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing? Think about this. Here's Jesus telling the disciples, hey, let's go away. Let's take a little time and rest. And then he says, "Get in the, we're going to Bethsaida. And he already knows. And all this other stuff's going to happen. But the disciples didn't know that. So could you imagine the disciples seeing this huge foot crowd, right? Kicking up all this dust along the shoreline. And they're like, faster! Because <laughs> if we don't get there before them, we're going to be hosed. We're not going to have any time to ourselves. Can you hear that? I can, right? I could see Peter being like, I'm stronger than you. Let me in there. Come on. Like, let's get there quick. You guys, the truth is, is that we hear all this stuff. And I, I want to set all of this up for a reason. We also learn from John chapter 6, verse 4, that this was near the time of the celebration of Passover. So this is near the time of the celebration of Passover. What was Passover? For anybody that doesn't know, it was a celebration of what happened in Egypt, right? All the plagues of Egypt. The, the last one was like the, the, the death of the firstborn for those that didn't put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. You guys remember that? And the angel passed over each house that had that. And so every year when you hear that it's the time of Passover, that's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating that a spotless lamb's blood allowed for a Passover and allowed for them not to die, right? That was what they're, they're firstborn to die. And so that was a huge celebration. And I want to talk about these things because we're gonna keep all of this in our mind now as we go through the miracle that Jesus did. Verse 14 it says, when Jesus went out, when Jesus went out, when he left the boat, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So Jesus had pulled these disciples away to get some time to rest and recover from the death of John. And yet right here, we see the heart of Jesus. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He shows up, he steps out of the boat and he's like, all right, let's get back to it. Right back to it. Ministry. And he jumps right back in and he starts healing the sick and he's got compassion on them. We see the heart of Jesus right here, you guys. Think about it. He's still flesh and blood. He's God in flesh, but his flesh is still just as much. Think about this. He could have said there and been like, are you for real? Give me a break. My cousin just died. You all know this. Can you give me a break? but he doesn't. No, he gets off the boat and he's like, let's do this. Let's get to ministry. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to be poured out. And so he went right back to it. And I love it, you guys. Let's read what the disciples did. Verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. You guys, the disciples may sound like they're being super compassionate as well. Like, come on, Jesus. Like you, I mean, don't you know they're hungry? They've walked all this way. They made it here. I mean, they're hungry. Like, send them away so they can go get some food. That's kind of how a lot of times I've taken it in the past. But can I give you guys a clue? In the Greek, it kind of has a different bend to it. It kind of gives you a different flavor as we read it. You know what it reads like? It reads like tired annoyance. That's what it reads like. What were the disciples really saying? They were like, hey, Jesus, can you deal with these people? Because we're tired. We were tired before we left. And we have no time, no money. We have nothing to give here. So can you just get them out of here? Can you please just give us a break? Send them away. That was their heart. Dirty. Right? The opposite of what Jesus' heart was. You guys, do you want to know what I think God is trying to talk to us today and what he was trying to teach the disciples then? The same thing we need to hear today. The same thing we need to hear today. They're saying we don't have time nor money to deal with this garbage. Can you send it away? And I got to, I mean, if you don't see that, let's talk about it. Time. Hey, Jesus, we're in a desolate place where no one lives. This is going to be an impossible task. We don't have the time to go out and buy and find food and get it all figured out. Like, we don't have time for that, Jesus. Can you just send it away? We don't want to deal with it. Money. You might not read this in Matthew, but John 6 verse 7 in the NIV gives us a good idea of what all the disciples were thinking when Philip says this. This is the NIV's version. I love it. It says this. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to have a bite. They were definitely thinking about money. They're like, we've got nothing. No time, no money. We've got nothing to give, Jesus. Send them away. We're done. We're tired. The disciples did not want to put forth any physical effort to do anything for this group. Nor did they see a feasible way to begin to even try to feed these people. And what was Jesus' response? I love it. They're like, can you just get rid of these people? Like, for real? Right? And what was he like? Nah. They don't need to go anywhere. You need to step up and feed them. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because when you read then right after that, in verse 17, it says, and they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fishes. I, I almost feel like you guys that it was almost an emphasis of the problem that they saw. Because in John 6, 9, we're told that Andrew, Peter's brother, points out this young boy that has five loaves and two fishes. And it's almost like they're saying, Andrew's like, this is what we got, Jesus. It's not going to fit the bill. It's not going to cover us. Like, do you not get what you just asked us? That's kind of the vibe that I catch from it as I read it. And I love it because notice... Jesus is just like, no, nah, it's on y'all. Figure it out. Just figure it out, right? Now, this is where this whole tie-in comes in to me with Passover. And what I love about this, and I, I just learned this this time as I read through and as I was studying, I came across somebody that said, hey, read John. And I read John and I was like, what's the pan? Why would he mention the Passover? Think about this, you guys. What was Moses complaining about to God? He's like, you brought millions of people out of Egypt here in this wilderness, and there's no food. 
where are we going to get all this food, God? And God's like, oh, I'm going to just drop some, what is it, right? That's what, that's what manna means. What is it, <laughs> right? In the Hebrew, do you, have, do you all know that? So they were like, hey, this, what is it? It's good. <laughs> he dropped manna from the sky and these quail, I don't know what that looked like. Did they just fly in every morning and then paralyze themselves until somebody picked them up and like, right? And ate them like manna and quail he provided every day. Do you understand? Do you see how Jesus is setting basically um, to use a, yeah, I don't know. This popped in my head. He's setting the plate. He's setting the dinner plate. He's like, let me show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you how I'm showing you I'm God because I'm going to do exactly what they did during the wilderness wanderings. I'm going to do here today. I'm going to do something utterly and completely impossible. And all you have to do is bring me what you got. Even if what you got is absolutely nothing. I'm going to provide. You guys see the tie? Verse 18. What did he say to him about those five loaves and two fishes that they so snarkily probably replied and told him like, what are you going to do with this? He's like, hey, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fishes and look, looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. You guys flip over with me to Mark chapter 6. Because there's something here that Mark gives us a little insight in that I want to talk about. Jesus never did anything out of order, but the way you read it in Matthew, right, because we know that 10 to 1, 9 times out of 10, it's the leader of the group that people were like, oh, that leader got that done, but how does that really happen? Well, it's not just, guys, this wasn't some miraculous thing. He didn't just say to over 5,000 people, I'm just gonna use 10,000, right? Just round, easy round number of women, children, and the men. I don't know what that number is. I'm not saying that's gospel. I'm just saying, I'm throwing a number out. He didn't say to those people, those thousands of people, hey, y'all, just sit down. And they were like, oh, okay, great. No, how did it happen? Mark chapter six, verse 39 says this. Says, then he commanded them, them being the disciples, to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. You guys see the order here. But I got to say this. Do you also see that in doing this miracle, he informed the disciples that they're going to have to put forth some effort. They had to put forth some effort. So they went and organized these 5,000 men and who knows how many thousands of women and children into groups of 50s and 100s. Has anyone tried to ever manage people? Isn't it like herding cats? Process this thought. <laughs> thousands of hungry people. And you're like, hey, can you just, yeah, can you, yeah, how about 50 over here? Can you do that? Yeah, all right. No, no, just, that's 60. I need 10 of you to come over here. We, can, I, can I get a group of 100 over here? How long did that take, you guys? <laughs> That was probably a process in and of itself, right? Once all that was done, or while all that was done, we don't know. We read this. Verse 19, it says that after he commanded all of them, it says he blessed. He took the two fish and the five loaves, looked up to heaven and blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. You guys, after all that work that they had already had to do to get everybody divvied up and figured out and where they were sitting on the grass. And I want you guys to understand that Jesus was up on the hillaways. This wasn't like a real close type of thing. Why? If you're speaking to that many people, you're using, and Jesus did this amazingly, 
You might even think he knew how sound waves work way before anybody else did because he would use the water, which is an awesome way to bounce sound so that it gets out to way more people. He would use natural amphitheaters, stuff that we now build into the ground, and we see in Roman times they did. Well, he would use it naturally. He would go to a mountain that was like this and stand up on the mountain, and everyone could hear very clearly without amplification, right? So he was up on the hill, and I want you guys to get your head around this. Because it's going to come into play. So here, the disciples, they go down, they get everybody organized to it, however long that took. Then Jesus either blessed the five loaves and the two fishes and began to fill the baskets for those disciples because they each had their own little basket of stuff that they would carry around with their food or with whatever in it, right? Their little like sack. They each had one of those that they would travel with. He either was doing that while they were still getting the people together. We don't know. I have no clue, so don't, I'm not up here trying to give you some massive insight. I'm just saying, here's the two options. It was either that way, or was it something that the disciples stood there and witnessed? Did they get them all together? They all come up to back to Jesus, and they're like, all right, Jesus, that part's done. That only took a few hours. Now what? And he's like, oh, let me show you what. Bam, bam, bam. I don't get that vibe from this. I don't get that vibe from this. What I think is, and this is my opinion, that's all it is, because we don't know. But here's the vibe I catch, is that they're like, hey, we got it all done, Jesus. And he's like, awesome. Take this. It's full. Go take it and deliver it. And then they went down the hill, and they're like probably looking at this full bin of stuff, this full basket of food. And they're like, all right. So they take it to the first 50, and they're like, oh, here you go. And everybody's like, oh, that's cool. Thanks. And they take it all, and then they go back up, and then Jesus, I mean, what, what was he doing? Was he like, here's another full basket I've already got done for you. Take that one, go. Or were they just standing there like, oh, I don't know what you're going to do. And then the basket filled back up because he just kept breaking, breaking, breaking. We don't know. I tend to think that it was like, you know, this constant thing. Why do I say all that? Because do you notice in here that they didn't all just stand and fall flat on their faces before Jesus right then and there, all the disciples, and be like, you're God. This is amazing. Like, we don't see that. We just see them working going up the hill, getting what they got from Jesus, going back down the hill and giving away what they got from Jesus, going back up the hill, getting another full basket from Jesus, going back down the hill, giving away what they got from Jesus. Do you see the picture here? They're doing the work of ministry. Now, a couple questions though. However Jesus did this, and I don't know how he did it, But I have it in my head that these guys, how many trips? Because this, listen, the way it reads in Matthew, it was like Jesus was like filled up each thing and was like, oh yeah. And then they went and they fed thousands of people with their little 12 baskets. It can't be. This took work. This took lots of trips. This probably took hours on end to get up and down and up and down. And what about the first group of 50 if they were like, they come back around and are like, you guys good? Now I want more. And then they, they took again. And then they're like, oh, okay, now it's empty again. And they go back up. How many trips up and down, you guys, did it take for them to finally get to a point where like, we had five loaves and two fish. Where is all this coming from? Like at what point did it snap in their head that they're like, I think we're seeing a miracle happen. Seriously. I mean, one would hope that even after the first 12, they're like, whoa. But who knows? They're busy. They're just doing it. They're doing ministry. 
But can I say something to you guys? The reality is this. What would the disciples have missed out upon? Had after the third trip down, they emptied their third basket and they're like, Jesus has got to be out. I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. Five loaves and two fish, we can't stretch it that far. So they just sat down and ate some of the food there that, that they just laid and never went back up and got another basket. What would they have missed out upon? Think about that. Now I got a bigger question for us. What do we miss out on when we look at our time and our money and we let logic dictate to us that we don't have time to serve? We don't have money to give. What do we miss out on? Pause for effect. You guys, I think we miss out on a lot. I think we miss out on a lot. And I want to tell you all something. I didn't want to give this message. No pastor ever is like, sweet, I get to talk about tithing and money? Yes. I get to talk about the two things that people don't want to give up the most, time and money? Yes. No, no pastor says that. I don't say that. And I want you to know a couple things, and I'm going to say this more than once, so I hope it sinks in. I don't care what you do with your money. I don't care what you do with your time. What I do care about as your pastor is the heart that you have for what God wants to do with your time and what God wants to do with your money. That's what I care about. I really don't need your money. Nobody needs your money. God will take care of this church. I guarantee it. He has been and he will continue to. But you all miss out on the blessing if you're not willing to give time and money to it. That's the reality. That's the thing that I care about. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. It says, so they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So everyone ate to their fill. Think about that. Was it was like Peter going up and down and in his group, he had this one guy that you're like, for real, man, you've taken three baskets on your own. Come on, right? Like, I mean, who knows how many trips they had to make up and down before everybody ate to their fill. This wasn't just like a meager, like, mm, yeah, I got a little bite of fish and a little, little bite of bread. I'm good. No, this was like, they're, they're eating until they're done, until they're full. And what I love about this is this. Jesus, he tells them, hey, now that they're done eating, go back down again and gather up 12 baskets for yourself. I love it. Because the truth is, Jesus made sure that the disciples knew that they knew what had just happened. But here's what I love. After all that work was done, don't you think Jesus could have just called them up and been like, give me your empty basket and been like, pow, 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 12 times and said, there you go. That's the blessing. That's your blessing. That's the part that's for you. He could have done that, couldn't have he? But I love that he chose not to do it that way. I love that he was like, no, now go back down and gather up all the leftovers. Go back down and gather up the leftovers. And what did that look like, you guys? What did that look like? Did they go back to the groups of 50? Did Peter go back to that one guy that was huge and be like, hey, man, I know you had a lot. Do you guys got any leftovers? Because we haven't eaten yet. Can we get some? And... Maybe some of the people were like, man, that that fish was good. And the the smoked salmon, it was amazing. You know, and like, I I was thinking about taking some back home. 
Like, I, I want leftovers for myself. And they went back down, and then the people were like, no, okay, here, take, take our leftovers. And so they gathered up 12 full baskets after all those thousands of people had already had their fill. You guys, ministry work always looks like this. Because you know where the blessing was? The blessing was in the work. Do you get that? The blessing was in the work. The blessing was they went back down, and I bet maybe some of them might have been thinking, cynical Americans probably would have been like, yeah, nobody's giving their leftovers up like that. That's probably not going to happen. And then they come back with 12 full baskets, and they're like, dang, that's crazy. Look at all the stuff we just got to pick up from people. Look at this stuff that we found around and we just picked up. You guys, here's the reality. I do my best as your pastor to feed you well. And how does that work? It works because I go up the hill to Jesus every day and I go, God, you got to tell me what you want to say to the congregation today. Lord, you need to tell me what is coming this week and what you want to speak. And the same thing happens on Wednesday nights. It takes me going up the hill and going up the hill to do what? To come down and hopefully say, here's a full basket. But that's God's job. I'm just up there trying to get my basket full to be ready to come and give. But the reality is, you guys... Can I say this? The reality is this. The church is dependent upon the church, this body of believers. And I'm not talking to any visitor here today. I'm talking to people that say, this is my church home. That's who I'm talking to. Our church is dependent upon us to be willing to give of our time and money. It's the facts. That's the way it looks. That's the way it goes. That's the operational setup that Jesus, that God has given us for the church is that, man, man, the pastor gives, 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 gives. People minister up in children's ministry. People minister by making you all coffee so you can stay awake during my boring messages. God gives you everything, and guess where it comes from? Through us as a body. But let's take it one step further because I want to tell you guys something. We are the body of Christ here, and every one of you is important. And if you're like, man, I'm a little toe. Well, I want you to remember that all they have was five loaves and two fishes and they fed thousands. Your little toe that you're bringing, God's gonna use in a mighty way. He's gonna make it bigger. He's gonna make stuff happen. The miracle is going to happen, you guys, as you're willing to step out into what God has for you. Do you wanna know why I don't think we see a lot of miracles in America? Because I think too many of us are holding so tightly onto our time and our money. And we're saying, God, I don't have time for this. God, I don't have the money to give. God, I can't do any of these things. And then we wonder, man, why isn't God moving? Mm. Well, because you're not letting him. Which sounds ridiculous because he's an omnipotent God. He could move however he wanted to. Like, don't forget that. I'm not saying he's not moving because we somehow limit him. I'm saying he's chosen for whatever reason to work through us as humans. He's chosen to do it that way. The most inefficient possible method. That's what he chose. I don't understand it, but I know that it's true. We see it at work right here. Don't we? We see it at work right here, and yet that's how God chose to move. So sometimes I think in the American church, we're like, we want to see God perform miracles. We want to see things happening. And I feel like we're, where that comes from is when we are willing to step out into what seems like thin air and watch God do something with it. When we lean back, just like the song says, into his loving arms and know that he's going to catch us, that he's there with us, that he's saying, yes, if I'm telling you to do this, I'm with you 100%. Let's do it. That's what it looks like. It's exactly what it looks like. You guys, 
If you call this church home, I have some hard questions. God asks that we serve this body here. And that is the bare base minimum is to serve the body of Christ because it's easy here. We've talked about this time and time again. We're here to take ground out in the community. Where do we get the practice? Right here in church. We get the practice of serving here in church so that we can go serve our faces off outside at our workplaces and with our families. We give our money here so that we can go out into the community and impact the community with things, with things that we're able to do because we have the finances to do them. It's just the truth. And all that happens here, right now, here. And I got to ask, if you're here today and you've been calling this church home for a long time, can I ask you, if you're not serving, could it be maybe a bit of a selfish heart of wanting to keep the leftovers for yourself? Of saying, yeah, I don't have time to give back. I, I can't do it. Give the 10 minutes you think you have. I promise you God will multiply it. Sunday mornings, you guys, you're all here for an hour and a half at the least. (laughs) Anyway, give some time. Do something. See what God might do. I love the model. Listen, you guys, we have two services for a reason. If you're like, I can give two weeks a month, Lord, to serve. Can I tell you? There's two services. So you have the opportunity to go and to serve and to give to someone else to give to this church body. And then you have the second service to come and be ministered to and be given to to receive. And that is an awesome model that a lot of churches have that we have the opportunity to have because we have two services. And it's an awesome model. And it's only two times a month. You guys, I think whenever people say they have no time, what they mean is they don't take the time. Isn't that true? I mean, does anybody have less than 24 hours a day? No, no hands. We all have the same 24 hours. What are we doing with it? What about our money? Because if you've been here for a long time and you're not giving or you're not giving where you feel the Lord leading you to give, and again, we don't need your money. That's not what I'm getting at. It's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is this. Could it be that you're not understanding that there is no greater freedom and joy and blessing than in a heart that gives? How do I know that? Because God's word tells me so. He says in this one area, and it's like the only area in the entire Bible that God actually says verbatim, he's like, try me on this. I dare you, try me on this. Give me your tithe. Give me from your things that, by the way, we don't get on our own anyway. You all think you work 40 hours and ain't gain your own money. Can I just remind you, it's the breath in your lungs that God gave you that allows you to get up in the morning and go to work. If you're like, man, but I've got a brain and I type and I do a great job typing, your fingers and your mind all came from God anyway. All of it's from God. The money you earn is God's. It's God's. We need to understand that. So how ridiculous is it for me to stand up here and say, hey, have you asked God what he wants you to do with his money? Have you asked God what he wants you to do with his time that he's given you here on earth? I mean, they're good and honest questions. But you guys, some people are like, oh, I got to be real. Look, I've got a lot of bills and I've got a lot of things and I'm, and I'm you know, I got all this stuff and I, I'm saving up for a car and I've got all that and I've got a new job and I've started a new business and I've got all this stuff happening and I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And, and they think that that means that they're being a good steward. And yet by God's word, I think that means that you're not being a good steward of the money that God's given you because God says, try me, try me on this and watch what I do. Watch how I bless you. The freedom and the joy comes when you say to God with what he's given you, time and money, when you say to him, it's yours. It's yours, God. 
And I promise you guys, I love hiking. And now that we're like losing weight and stuff, we started hiking more and I love it. And do you know what God tells me sometimes on a Saturday morning? Go on a hike. Go hike Mount Major again. Go do whatever. Go hike. Go enjoy yourselves. Sit around in your pajamas and do absolutely nothing. Sometimes that's what he tells me on a Saturday morning. You know what he tells me other times? Get your butt up and go meet with that person because they need you. And either way is good. Do you understand? I don't care what you do with your time. I care that you ask God what he wants you to do with your time. I don't care what you do with your money. I, I care that you ask God what does he want to do with it. That's the thing I'm trying to aim at, you guys. There's no judgment here. I'm serious. There's not one speck of judgment on my heart. God will take care of this church. But I'm saying to you, man, if you're not giving, you're missing out on a blessing. You're missing out on seeing God move. Ministry always involves work and sacrifice. And I am privileged to serve this church, and I love it. And I wouldn't trade it for a moment, you guys. But can I tell you something? I'm not the only minister here. You guys are all ministers too. You are. Every one of you are ministers. You are all meant to be part of the body of Christ, which means that it's not just in here. This is the safe place. This is the, right, we've talked about, this is the citadel that you get to come in and practice things, that you get to move and say, what is my gifting? I don't know, pick up a broom. Hey, I kind of like this broom and think this works. Or you're like, no, I don't really like this broom. And so then you're like, man, that's cool. Go try, go try kids ministry. See what you think of that. I'm gonna kill these kids. Okay, don't do that. Let's try something else. You just keep trying. It's a safe place, but serve, do something. Don't just sit here on your rusty dusty and do nothing because that's the one place that we miss out on a miracle. We miss out on seeing God move because you just might show up to kids ministry and be like, why haven't I done this a long time ago? Why haven't I gotten to to press in and see what God wants to do in my life to this child's life that I have not done for years. I could have been doing this a long time ago. You don't know what God's going to do until you step out in it. They didn't know that they were going to walk up and get another full basket to come down with until they kept doing it. Do you understand? We are all ministers. And so what are we doing? What are we doing with that? How are we serving? God blesses an obedient heart of ministry. But you guys, what we see here is at the end of this is that God, even in the blessings, requires something of us. None of this is ever easy. And so if you guys are looking for a walk with the Lord to be easy, well, then I don't think you truly understand walking with the Lord. I really don't. I am not up here to sugarcoat things. I am not a fan of those churches that are like, you want a blessing? Receive that blessing today because all you got to do is accept Jesus and everything's going to be hunky-dory from that point on. That's not what I see in God's word. It's not what I saw through the life of Paul or Peter or any of the disciples' lives, right? Here's Stephen. You guys know the story of Stephen. Stephen shows up and he's like, sweet, I'm a table waiter. That's my job. Woo! And then he gets brought before the Sanhedrin and they stone him to death. (laughs) That's not an easy life. That's not what God promised us. But he did promise us blessings. Guess what Stephen got to see as he died? The throne of God. That's awesome. That's awesome. What would he have seen if he would have said no from the very beginning before he ever waited one table? I don't think he would have got to see that. Do you understand? The miracle is in the work, you guys. And I think this is what we see here is that as we do the work that the Lord has laid before us, which only comes by asking God, God, what work do you have for me? What work do you have for me here in this church? What work do you have for me out in the community? What work do you have for me at work, God? 
this thing, this job you've given me? How, Lord, what work do you have for me in all these areas? And I want to be obedient to do it. I think in those moments is where we see the miracles, you guys. We keep talking about the fact that we go out and we take ground and we tell people. And do you know how awesome it is that so many people come back to me and they're like, I talked to so-and-so at, their, at my job and I never thought that they would ever be okay with me talking about Jesus. And they're going to come to church. And they're like blown away. And I'm like, do you know the miracles that are waiting for us? And all we have to do is step out and do something that maybe we're not comfortable doing. God is bigger than us by far. Amen? Amen. You guys... Here's what I want to see. I want to see a church that's ready to give of the gifts and the blessing that God's given us already to others. But I also want to see a church that's ready to receive gifts and blessing from others that want to serve us. That's a healthy church. We have two services on Sundays. I'm not asking anybody to serve more than you feel like the Lord wants you to. I'm just asking you to do something. I'm not asking anybody to give all their money or any money. I don't care what you do with your money. I'm just asking you to ask God what he wants to do with that. That's it. That's all I'm asking. And I'll tell you this. Everything I'm asking, I don't think sounds very logical, does it? I don't have any time. I'm saying, give more time. And you're like, that's not logical. What do disciples think whenever they're like, we've got five loaves and two fishes. This is not logical. That's that's a reality. I don't think God's, he's a logical God in the sense that we can logically understand that he is good and that he is all these things, but there's something deeper and he is so much bigger than our human logic could ever get our heads around that I'm just saying to you guys, listen, God's a God of order. God's a good, good God, but he asks us sometimes to do things that don't make logical sense. And in those moments are the moments that you're like, whoa, and you're not left with anything, but oh God, you're so good. Oh God, you're so amazing. And that's what I want for us as a church. So we see in this miracle, which was by far the easiest thing that God could have done. Honestly, God performing this miracle was absolutely nothing for God. Do you understand that? The bigger miracle, the bigger thing that I think we see is how these human beings (laughs) interacted with God in the flesh and just kept trusting him in it. And that's when the miracle took place. So we see God choosing to go about things, you guys, in the most inefficient manner, and nothing's changed. He still does. He still chooses to use humanity when he could do it any other way. And I want you to think about this. He could have just chosen to fill everyone's bellies without them having to eat. He could have. He could have been like, everybody there sitting, and he's like, to the disciples, he's like, that's taken care of. And they're all like, man, I feel like I just ate a horse. You know, he could have done anything he wanted, but he didn't. He could have done, he could have made a big, massive pile of food right in the middle of the crowd and been like, there you go, eat it. Eat till you're full. He could have done it that way. He's God. He could have done anything. And yet, what did he do? He chose to use willing disciples. Willing disciples that didn't even get it. But even when they didn't get it, they stepped out in obedience and did it. And that's my encouragement to us. Even when we don't get it, when the Lord says, I want you to give me this Sunday, once a month to do this. And you're like, logically, God, I don't have time for that. And he says, do it. And you do it. I promise you, God will bless you in it. You look at your money and you're like, I haven't given ever because I don't have the money to give. Trust God. 
Trust God. He will come through. He will bless you in the midst of all of this. And the only way you're going to get to see that is if you have a willing heart to be obedient to what God's asking you to do. And I'm not telling you what God's asking you to do. You've got to figure that out between you and the Lord. So, a couple questions. Are we ready to be used for ministry? Or do you still think that it's your money and your time? And then I have another question, if that's what you think. Do you think that's going to grant you anything eternally? Because I don't think I'm going to get to heaven and he's going to be like, gold star for you. You climbed Mount Major like 80 times. Good job. Like, I don't think God's going to do that. What do I know God's going to do? His word tells us he's going to separate the hay and the stubble away from the stuff that had eternal value. How do we get this eternally valuable stuff? We do it by saying to God, you want me to give my time? You got it. You want me to give them my money? You got it. Lord, you want me to go speak to that person I don't want to? You got it. I'm going to do it, Lord. That's the eternal stuff. That's the stuff that has the weight of glory attached to it. Amen? You guys, I just want to encourage you one last time. We see these miracles happen, and I believe God still has miracles for us to see. And I think what he's asking for us is to just walk out in obedience and that in the midst of that, those miracles will, will manifest themselves. And just like the disciples, I don't even know if we're going to see the miracle happening in the process until we're kind of further along in it. And then we're going to be like, whoa, what, what, how does this work, right? Like that's when we're going to be amazed by it. Yeah. I find that in my own life so many times. When we moved up here, we left two military careers. Well, we didn't leave. I was medically discharged and she was medically retired. But we left two military careers making well over 100,000 a year. We move up here. And the first year we lived up here, we like almost doubled our rent. We went from paying $800 a month for a house and an acre and a hot tub and a nice place. And we loved it to $1,500 a month for a really tiny little 700 square foot apartment. And you know what? We went from making over 100,000 a year to that first year we made $17,000 a year. That whole year we made 17 grand. Now, you tell me how we never missed a bill. Because I can't explain it. But I know that God did it. And that's that kind of stuff that as you're obedient to just walk through and say, okay, God, you want us to move to, I have to look up on the map to figure out where New Hampshire is because I don't even know. Like, you want me to move there? You want us to move there? Fine, we're moving. And then we move and then we're like, yeah, Lord, we're on the GI Bill. I don't know if you noticed, but housing is expensive up here. (laughs) And we just sold our house and we sold at the bottom of the market, which means we lost money on our house. Nothing about this was easy. And yet God blesses and blesses and blesses. And we were never late on any payment, even to the point of one month. And this is the last thing I'll say. We had an electric bill coming due and we were $200 short. And we were like, oh Lord, we don't know what we're going to do. God, we've not missed a bill yet, but God, like, what do you want us to do? You want us to call the electric company and ask them not to shut us off? Or how do you want to do this? We get home that day. We had not told anybody, not a single soul about this. We were just seeking the Lord on it. And there were two $100 Visa gift cards stuck in our door. From who? I have no clue. Why? I really don't have a clue. But God did it. And so we went and we applied those $200 gift cards and our check. And we paid the bill. God is faithful, you guys. And I promise you, the more you walk through it, the more you're going to be like, God is faithful, you guys. God is faithful, you guys. And you're just going to tell others about what God is doing faithfully as you step out in it. That's the miracle that we get to witness. That's the stuff that we get to be a part of. Amen? Let's pray.
Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.